Hey, my name's Louis, and welcome to. I'm just gonna go for it. Hey, I'm Louis, nutritionist and personal trainer, and it's my privilege to welcome you to Between Two Plates, the Strength Vitality podcast, where we discuss everything between gym plates and kitchen plates to do with fitness, nutrition, and mental health. In this episode, we're gonna change it up slightly, if that's okay with you. Um, I've recently written an article which has gone on the Strength Vitality website. Uh, it says it's a four minute read, so I guess together in the interest of science, that's what we're gonna check. And I'm just gonna read you through that article um, in the hope that uh, it helps add balance to an argument which is quite biased, or at least my experience of this argument has been quite biased. Um, a really good friend of mine tagged me in a Facebook video um, of all places where these conversations get started. Um, and uh, in our conversation, I thought it would be quite cool to maybe expand on it and write this article. So um, please do uh, let me know your feedback. I hope you enjoy this podcast. As I said, it's meant to be four minutes long, so we can test that together. Uh, and if you did enjoy it, let me know. And if not, equally, let me know. Definitely open to criticism. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. So I hope you enjoy it. I've said that five times now. Get going. Okay, pow. <laughs> An opening statement in defense of sugar. Have you been told sugar is the devil? Recently, a good friend of mine tagged me in a Facebook video, a fairly well-produced vilification of Coca-Cola and subsequently sugar. This video went on to make claims such as, sugar is more addictive than cocaine. Its consumption is linked to cancer and a multitude of other mortality causes. There are legitimate arguments for reducing sugar content in a diet, notably how it increases the palatability and energy density of food. However, the way this argument was positioned, as often is the case, simplifies a more complex challenge that we face. Sugar is a drug was expectedly and unsurprisingly thrown into this mix of arguments, where the presenter in the video seemingly chooses to avoid clear distinction between Coca-Cola and sugar. The comparison is made between sugar being more addictive than cocaine. Sugar's consumption, or more appropriately, foods high in sugar, may lead to a greater dopamine response. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain that we can link to pleasure and reward. Exercise can lead to an elevation of dopamine, and while not to detract away from the relationship between dopamine and addiction, simply attenuating a dopamine response does not make the stimulus bad. The dopamine stimulating effects of certain foods are important to know, as it helps us understand why these foods may be desirable, but not as satiating. However, this doesn't mean you can compare it to cocaine, especially when the literature on this is being misrepresented. Often Hobel is cited. Even if we could agree that he adequately demonstrated sugar is more addictive in rodents than cocaine, the translation from rodent to human is often fraught with errors and disparity. His research only shows that cocaine can increase dopamine levels in the brain in a manner similar to food reward. What's important to be aware of in this research is that rodents were selected that had a preference for sugar. More so, these addictive type behaviors are only observable, observable when rodents are given intermittent access to sugar. When they have ad libitum access, so they can have it any time, we're not able to observe these same behaviors. If we translated this to humans, we don't live lives where we have intermittent access to sugar. We have a consistent access to sugar. Even if it's not in our immediate environment, we have the conscious awareness that it's an accessible product to us. That would only require a trip to the shop to collect. What's also interesting with an addictive drug, if you add something that makes you feel sick, this shouldn't diminish your desire to consume the substance. With sugar, in the case of rodents, they preferred not to have sugar if the sickness addict additive was there. This draws a clear distinction between addictive drugs such as cocaine and sugar. 
Sugar Addiction, the State of the Science 2016. If you search that, um, you can read more about this. And if you're interested in reading more about cravings, this paper will also highlight the differences between types of cravings with food and drugs, differing in intensity, frequency, and duration. There's also literature dating back to 1939 showing in rats, if you have an unlimited availability of sugar water at greater concentrations, consumption will increase until eventually you observe diminishing consumption as the rodents opt for a non-sugar alternative. If sugar is truly an addictive substance in and of itself, we would expect to see the correlation continue to increase. I'm certainly not here to defend sweets every day, all day, but it's incredibly disempowering it's incredibly disempowering to people to position sugar consumption in isolation as the root cause of obesity, diabetes, and mortality. People need to be armed with the truth, of which may be more complex, in order to navigate their lives and allow flexibility within their nutrition that facilitates sustainable positive change, inclusionary of indulgent foods. What we can see in the literature is that highly palatable foods are more likely to cause overconsumption. The foods most dopamine inducing are not just sugar, but above this, foods high in fat and sugar. These foods can lead to addictive type behaviors, especially when we become familiar with their packaging, smells, textures, sounds, etc. These are foods such as donuts, ice cream, chocolate, etc. And then we've got a screenshot um, of a slide from Stefan Gaynay's presentation at Mac Nutrition Live, demonstrating the findings found in Marcus et al. Um, in which they took 1,495 university students to examine whether foods containing mainly sugar led to addiction-like problems. Check out this quote from the results of the study. The majority of respondents experienced these problems for combined high-fat savoury, 30%, and high-fat sweet, 25% foods, whereas only a minority experienced such problems for low-fat savoury, 2%, and mainly sugar-containing foods, 5%. These foods are satisfying, calorie dense, hyperpalatable, probably not as satiating and contribute to our dietary intakes. And we know a consistently hypercaloric diet, of which is easier to achieve through a diet predominant in high calorie foods, will eventually lead to weight gain over time. If this weight gain is not monitored, we can lead ourselves into obesity. Obesity does elevate mortality risk, and in fact is likely a bigger influencer upon diabetes causation and risk. With this knowledge, people are able to make informed choices to not only have permission to include indulgent type foods with minimal nutritional value and to utilize sugary foods as a performance fuel in specific occasions, but also to avoid pursuing extremely rigid protocols that are unsustainable and distract from the opportunity to follow a flexible, health-delivering lifestyle. It's not free of responsibility and diets that moderate sugar consumption, along with other things, tend to be health-promoting. Sugar being strawmanned as the cause of many of the public health challenges we face does a disservice to the interventions we need to take to fix these issues. Before we act as judge, jury and executioner to Tate and Lyle, the honest truth is the evidence points to a broader path. I'd love to hear your thoughts and if you have any comments or questions, please write them below or you can email me, louis at strengthvitality.com. Thank you. As ever, I really hope you enjoyed the podcast and I can't wait to hear your thoughts.